It was the day after Christmas 2004. Tilly Smith, 10-year-old girl, and her family were at a beach resort in Thailand celebrating Christmas vacation. It was a beautiful early morning, and their family was walking along the beach, and many people from the resort were just getting situated on the beach, laying out their towels, setting up their umbrellas, getting ready for what seemed to be a beautiful day there on the ocean front in Thailand. As Tilly Smith and her family were walking down the shoreline, Tilly began to notice the ocean started acting a bit strange. The, the waves weren't rolling in as they normally would into the shoreline. In fact, it seemed as if the waves were going in the opposite direction, as if, as if they were getting further and further away from the beach. Well, Tilly, just the week before, in science class back home, had watched a video on tsunamis. And Tilly said to her dad, Dad, I, I think there's a tsunami coming. This, this, is, this is what we saw in our video. And her dad said, oh, honey, it's okay. Everything's fine. Look at everybody's out here on the beach. There's, there's nothing wrong. The, the resort staff are out here. It, everybody's going to have a great day. Don't worry. And Tilly said, no, no, Dad, I, I, I think there's going to be a tsunami. We, we saw this in science class. We need to run. We need to warn everybody. And Tilly's dad just sort of blew her off again. Well, Tilly went running up the beach to one of the resort hotel security guards. And she started pulling on this man's shirt. Sir, you got to warn everybody. Get him off the beach. There's a tsunami coming. Now, imagine you're that security guard. And here's this 10-year-old little girl. Not a scientist. Not a, not a general. Not a doctor, right? Just a 10-year-old little girl pulling on your shirt saying, you got to clear the beach. you got to get everybody to run. There's a tsunami. I mean, what would you do in that situation? Well, the security guard ultimately listened to Tilly. And the security guard went running down the length of the beach, warning all the beachgoers to get off the beach and hurry, hurry, run, and, and got all the beachgoers off from the waterfront and up to the top floor of the hotel. And just a few minutes later, a massive tsunami came and wiped out huge areas throughout all of Southeast Asia. It had been triggered earlier that morning by an undersea volcano. Scientists said a volcano, an earthquake that had the power of one million Nagasaki atomic bombs. That earthquake triggered this massive tsunami that ravaged almost all of Southeast Asia, into Indonesia, the coast of Africa, the Middle East. It covered a huge swath of the world. Ultimately, 230,000 people would die. But friends, you know something? Not a single person from Tilly Smith's resort lost their lives. The day after the tsunami, the reporters descended on southern Thailand and they were interviewing people involved and they heard the story of this young girl, Tilly Smith, who warned everybody at the resort. One of the reporters went and interviewed her father and her father, reflecting somberly on what had taken place, simply uttered these words, what if we hadn't listened? What if we hadn't listened? This morning, friends, we're continuing our series on the end times. A series meant to highlight the warnings that God has given us, alerting us to the tumultuous events that will one day shake this entire world. Events that may not be too far off. 
God has warned us that His righteous judgment is coming. One day, this entire world is going to come under God's judgment. A time when He will once and for all purge the world of sin and evil and all who choose to live in rebellion against Him. And the fundamental question that I pray that this series inspires us to ask is simply this. Will we heed God's warnings before it's too late? Will we put our trust in Jesus Christ, the one and only Savior who can reconcile us to God? Will we wake up from our spiritual complacency and live with eternity's values in view? Will we forsake the perishable treasures of earth for the sake of storing up eternal rewards in heaven? Friends, God's warned us that judgment day is coming. And how sad it will be if on that day your heart's lament is if only I had listened. If only I had listened. Well, we're in the fourth week of our series currently, and just to give you a quick review of where we've been. Currently, we live in what is called the church age. This is the period of time between the Lord's incarnation 2,000 years ago when, when Jesus ministered here on earth and went to the cross to die for our sins and then rose victoriously from the grave. And, and then Jesus ascended into heaven. And now today we are living in the church age. This is the age that God has commissioned us, his church, to carry out the great commission, going into all the world, making disciples, sharing the hope of the gospel and the good news of God's love and his plan of redemption for men and women. That's our calling. That's our mission. We are ambassadors of Jesus Christ. But Jesus has told us that he is coming again for his church. As we saw three weeks ago, uh, we know, or two weeks ago, Jesus is going to return in the tribulation. Jesus is going to come and he is going to take the church out of this world miraculously, catching us up into the air to meet him. He's going to snatch us away, harpazo. He's going to just transform us out of this world into his presence. Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, I may come and take you to be with me. And so we await that great day, that day when Jesus is going to come and he's going to take the church out of this world. And as we saw last week, after the Lord raptures the church, we are going to stand before the Bema seat of Christ, the judgment seat of Christ. And Jesus is going to purify us of all things that were not godly in our lives and all that will be left will be those things that we did for him and on his behalf. And then Jesus is going to reward us. He's going to reward us with crowns that we're going to use to put at his feet in worship of him. Crowns, signs of authority that he's going to give to us when we rule and reign with him over his millennial kingdom. And so today, as we continue on in our series, we are looking at what is going to take place in this world after the church is raptured. What's going to be taking place on earth while the church has been raptured into the presence of God. Well, this morning we're going to look at a cataclysmic period of time to come. A time the Bible describes as the tribulation. A devastating time for this world when the full depravity of man will run wild. Satan will deceive and ravage the human race. 
And God's holy judgment will be poured out upon this fallen world in ways never before seen in all of history. In fact, Jesus himself describes this period like this in Matthew 24, 21 through 22. Jesus says, For then there will be great tribulation, such as has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. And if those days had not been cut short, no human being would be saved. But for the sake of the elect, those days will be cut short. Friends, Jesus has warned us that a time of great tribulation is coming. And not just Jesus, but as we study the Bible, we find all throughout the Bible we are giving warnings about this coming period of judgment. In Deuteronomy, we read of the tribulation. In Isaiah, we read of the day of vengeance of our God. In Jeremiah, the time of Jacob's trouble. In Daniel, the time of trouble such as never has been. In Obadiah, the day of Israel's calamity. Zephaniah, the day of wrath. 1 Thessalonians, the wrath to come. The day of the Lord. Revelation, the hour of trial. The hour of judgment. On and on, all throughout the Bible, Old and New Testament, we are warned about this period of tribulation. Friends, make no mistake about it, the tribulation is real. It's coming, and it's going to be a terrible time, unlike anything this world has ever seen. But I also want you to remember this morning, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, you need not fear this time of tribulation, because you're not going to be here for it. Remember what Jesus has promised us in Revelation chapter 3, verses 10 through 11. Jesus says, Because you have kept my word about patient endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. Friends, Jesus said he's going to keep his church from the hour of trial that is coming upon the world. If you know Jesus Christ, you're not going to be here for this period of tribulation because Jesus is going to rapture his church and take us out of the world before this tribulation happens. Now, what exactly is going to take place during this period of tribulation? What do we learn about this period from God's word and the warnings that he's given us about it? Well, I want to share a few highlights for us this morning. We can't do a comprehensive study of this whole period in the limited time we have, but I want to provide an overview for us so that we have a solid understanding of what God has prophetically revealed to us about this period that's coming. What's going to take place during the tribulation? Well, the first thing that we know about the tribulation from God's Word is that the tribulation is going to be a seven-year period of history. So while the church has been raptured and taken up into heaven, the world is going to experience this seven-year period of calamity that we saw over and over again the Bible warns us about. How do we know it's going to be a seven-year period? Well, a number of ways. Probably the most important and most significant is in the prophet Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 through 27. One of the most important end times prophecies in the Bible. It's the prophecy of 70 weeks, 70 weeks. Daniel is given a prophecy from God. God says there will be seven sevens and 62 sevens. 
And God tells Daniel there will be seven sevens. And, and those sevens that God is referring to in, in prophecy is, is referred to as a heptad. It's, it's a week of years. So instead of a seven-day week, God is talking about a seven-year period. Each week is a seven-year period. And so God tells Daniel there's going to be seven sevens, so seven seven-year periods, and 62 sevens, 62 seven-year periods as part of this 70 weeks that God prophesies. Now what's very interesting is God tells Daniel there's going to be seven sevens until Jerusalem is restored and rebuilt. Now remember, the Israelites were in Babylon. They were in exile at this time. They had been taken out of Jerusalem. Jerusalem had been wiped away and destroyed by the Babylonian Empire. And they had been carried off into captivity. But God told Daniel, in captivity in Babylon, there will be seven sevens until Jerusalem is restored, from the issuing of the decree to the restoring and rebuilding of Jerusalem. Well, friends, this is really one of the greatest miracles in history. King Artaxerxes of Babylon issued a decree to allow the Jewish people to go and restore and rebuild Jerusalem. And you want to know how many years it was from the issuing of the decree to the restoring and rebuilding of Jerusalem? We know this as a historical fact. 49 years. Seven sevens. God declared there would be seven sevens until from the issuing of the decree to the restoring and rebuilding of Jerusalem. And then God told Daniel there would be another 62 sevens. So seven sevens plus 62 sevens from the issuing of the decree to the anointed one, Messiah the Prince, when he will be cut off. 69 weeks of seven years, 483 years from the issuing of the decree of King Artaxerxes. What took place 483 years later? History tells us Jesus Christ came into this world. And Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, was crucified. 483 years after the issuing of the decree. Exactly like God declared 69 sevens took place exactly as God had prophesied. Now there's a 70th week that Daniel was told about. And the 70th week has yet to happen yet. We are on what is basically a prophetic hold because those 70 weeks prophesied were prophesied about the nation of Israel. And the first 69 weeks have happened exactly as God had said. We are currently in the church age. And after the rapture and when the tribulation begins, the 70th week is going to start when a figure known as the Antichrist comes. And Daniel 9.27 tells us that he is going to make a peace treaty with the Jewish people. And at the beginning of that peace treaty, that will mark the beginning of this seven-year period of tribulation. The book of Revelation speaks about this seven-year period. The book of Revelation divides this seven-year period into two periods, two periods of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, two periods of 1,260 days, two periods of 42 months, equaling seven years. There's going to be two halves to the tribulation. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 in his Olivet Discourse, he talked about these two periods. He talked about the tribulation and he talked about the great tribulation. So again, in Scripture, we see that there will be a seven-year period divided into two three-and-a-half-year sections. Now, what's going to take place during this period of tribulation? Point number two, during the first three-and-a-half years of the tribulation, there are going to be two sets of judgments that God pours out upon this world. Two periods of judgment that God pours out upon this world. Remember, why the tribulation? God is judging 
the sin and the wickedness and the evil of this present world. The first period of judgment is going to be what are called the seal judgments. You can read about these in Revelation chapter 6 through 8. There will be seven seal judgments. John in his vision of heaven sees a scroll with seven seals and he says, who is worthy to open the scroll? There's there's no one there who can open the seals. And then he sees the Lamb of God, the Lion of the tribe of Judah, Jesus Christ, the one who is worthy to open the seals. And Jesus begins to open the seals one after another. The first seal, Revelation chapter 6, verse 2, is the rider on a white horse. This is the Antichrist. This is the one who will come and establish a peace treaty with Israel, which will begin the seven-year period of the tribulation. The Antichrist is a false messiah who's going to take control of this world. He's going to take control of the world politically, militarily, economically, religiously. But again, friends, remember, this is all under the sovereign plan of God. It's Jesus who opens the seal, allowing the Antichrist to come. The second seal that we read about, Revelation 6, 3-4, the rider on the red horse. This seal, this seal represents war. This seal represents a great war that's going to take place shortly after the Antichrist signs this peace treaty of Israel. A consortium of nations is going to come against the nation of Israel. The Bible tells us these nations by their ancient names. Their modern-day names are Syria, Egypt, Russia, Iran, Afghanistan, Pakistan, Turkey, Ethiopia, Somalia, Somalia, Sudan, Libya, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon. All of these nations are going to come against the nation of Israel. And God is going to miraculously deliver his people when this consortium of nations comes. The third seal, Revelation 6, 5 through 6, the rider on the black horse. This rider brings famine into the world. Following this devastating war, there's going to be a worldwide famine, a disastrous famine. You've heard on the news recently about the results of the war in Ukraine and Russia, and people are worried about food shortages and potentially famine after this war. Friends, imagine a war involving these great nations coming in against Israel. This is going to result in a worldwide famine. Food's going to become scarce, and millions are going to die. The fourth seal, the rider on the pale horse, represents death. John, in his vision of this period, tells us that at this time, one-fourth of the world's population is going to die. Using today's population of 8 billion people, that's 2 billion people who are going to die as a result of these wars and famines and the death that's going to come upon the world. The fifth seal that we read about in Revelation 6, 9 through 11 is the martyrdom of the tribulation believers. Many who come to faith in Christ during this period of tribulation will end up losing their lives. They'll be persecuted by the Antichrist, murdered for their faith. The sixth seal, Revelation 6, 12 through 14, speaks of heavenly signs and earthquakes The sun is going to become black. The moon is going to become like blood. Stars are going to fall to the earth. And the Bible says that every mountain and island on earth is going to be shaken. Cataclysmic events. The seventh seal, John tells us about, is going to be a period of silence in heaven. 30 minutes of silence in heaven. 
people wonder why is there going to be silence in heaven. Friends, I believe the silence in heaven is going to be the result of God and his people looking down on the calamity of this world in shock over what's taking place. Following the seven seals, there's going to be a second period of judgment during this first three and a half year period of the tribulation. Keep in mind, friends, we lived through two years of a brutal pandemic and lockdowns and mandates and all of that, right? Hundreds of thousands of people died. We're talking three and a half years that are going to make that look like kindergarten recess. Second set of judgments come in the first three and a half years, the trumpet judgments found in Revelations 8 through 9, Revelation chapter 11. The first set of judgments in the trumpet judgments, the first trumpet's going to sound and hail and fire are going to come upon the earth. One-third of all the trees on earth are going to burn, John tells us. The second trumpet's going to sound, Revelation 8, verses 8 through 9, one-third of all the creatures in the sea are going to die as the sea is going to turn to blood. The third trumpet's going to sound, Revelation 8, 10 through 11. Stars are going to fall from the heavens. The waters are going to turn bitter and become poisonous. Many people are going to die. The fourth trumpet's going to sound, Revelation 8, verse 12. And here John tells us that a third of the sun, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars are going to be darkened. Imagine what that's going to be like when the world is living and walking in perpetual darkness day and night with a third of the light taken away. The fifth trumpet's going to sound, chapter 9, verses 1 through 3, and God is going to release an evil angel who is going to open up the bottomless pit, and he is going to release demonic locusts upon the earth that are going to torture and torment men for months. You know, it's interesting, many people speculate that a lot of these signs must be symbolic of, of things in the world, real things, and, you know, John just didn't understand our modern-day technology, and so these demonic locusts are going to be helicopters or something, missiles, something along those lines. Friends, I personally believe that these are going to be demonic locusts. I think John tells us what he saw. And I think this is going to be what takes place. I don't think we need to look for symbolism behind these things. I think this is going to be what takes place. Terrible, supernatural, natural, physical, calamitous events unleashed upon this world. We read after these demonic locusts, the, seventh, the sixth trumpet sounds. 200 million evil angels are going to be released across the earth. 200 million demons killing one-third of humanity. Now, friends, keep in mind, this is the first three and a half years of the tribulation. We already saw in the first set of judgments a quarter of the world's population has died at that time. By this time in the tribulation, half of the world's population will have died. That's four billion people in today's numbers. The seventh trumpet's going to sound, and in the seventh trumpet we receive a vision of the world under Christ's authority. Revelation 11, verse 15 says, the kingdoms of this world are, become, 
The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of His Christ, and He shall reign forever and ever, a vision of what's going to take place at the second coming of Christ and in the millennial reign of Jesus. Three and a half years have gone by. Halfway through the tribulation, the Antichrist is going to be possessed by Satan himself. And the Antichrist is going to demand that the entire world worship him. The Antichrist is going to set himself up as God in the rebuilt Jewish temple that's going to be rebuilt during that period of peace when the Antichrist signs the peace treaty at the beginning of the tribulation. He's going to allow the Jews to rebuild the temple, to reinstitute their temple sacrifices. But three and a half years later, he is going to enter the temple and declare that he is God and demand that the entire world worships him. He's going to create a false one-world religion. He's going to require that every person on earth receive the mark of the beast. If you don't receive the mark of the beast, you'll be hunted down and killed. He's going to take total control of the world economy. John tells us in Revelation 13 that you won't be able to buy or sell anything if you haven't received the mark of the beast. And then three and a half years into the tribulation, he's going to break his peace treaty with the Israelites, with the people of Israel, and he is going to set about seeking the annihilation of the Jewish people. During the last three and a half years of the tribulation, there's going to be one final set of judgments. We read about these, the seven bowl judgments in Revelation 16. The worst period of judgment yet that God is going to unleash on this world after the Antichrist sets himself up as God. What's going to take place in the seven bowl judgments? Revelation 16.2 says that grievous sores are going to come upon every single person who denied Jesus Christ. If you took the mark of the beast, God is going to afflict you with these sores that are going to torment people. In the second bold judgment, God is going to turn the entire sea to blood and every living creature in the sea is going to die. In the third bold judgment, chapter 16, verses 4 through 7, we read about the remaining waters on the earth, all the springs, all the rivers, all the lakes, all the remaining waters are going to turn to blood and every creature living in the waters will die. In the fourth bowl judgment, the earth is going to be scorched with heat, unbearable heat as the sun burns people. In the fifth bowl judgment, darkness is going to cover the earth. All of the land claimed by the Antichrist is going to be covered in darkness. And John tells us here that men are going to gnaw their own tongues as a result of the pain and anguish that they're in. In the sixth bowl judgment, God is going to dry up the Euphrates River in the Middle East, preparing the way for armies, the kings of the East, who are going to come against Israel in the final great battle, the battle of Armageddon, which we're going to study next week together. And then in the seventh bowl judgment, God is going to send storms and earthquake and hail upon the earth. It's going to be the largest storm in the history of the world, the largest earthquake ever. The city of Babylon, the capital of the Antichrist, is going to be once and for all time destroyed. Friends, this tribulation period is going to be terrible. It's going to be horrible. I can't even describe it in a way that does it justice just how bad this period is going to be upon the earth. What is God's purpose for all this? 
What's God's purpose for the tribulation? Well, I think we have at least five reasons that God is going to allow this take to, to, take, to, to take place. Number one, God is going to bring about the tribulation in order to bring about the consummation of history. The tribulation is going to bring an end to this present era, this present world. The prophet Daniel in Daniel 9.24, he says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people. In your holy city. So 70 weeks, right? We've already gone through the 69 weeks. The 70th week is going to be this period of tribulation. These seven years of tribulation. When this happens, your holy city, to finish the transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for iniquity, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. When those 70 weeks have taken place, God says, I'm bringing an end. I'm bringing all of this present era to consummation. And God is going to start a new period in history. That's going to be a great period. We're going to talk about that in the coming weeks. Next week, the Battle of Armageddon, when Jesus defeats Satan and the Antichrist. We're going to look at the millennial kingdom. We're going to look at the new heavens and the new earth. We have a lot to look forward to, friends. The second reason that God is going to bring about the tribulation is to fulfill prophecy and to keep his word. We talked about all the way back in the first week of this series, the Bible is a prophecy book. And friends, you know there's not a single prophecy in the Bible that hasn't been literally fulfilled. God keeps his word. God keeps his promises. We saw God has literally fulfilled the first 69 weeks that he prophesied to the prophet Daniel. The seven sevens, the 62 sevens, the restoring and rebuilding of Jerusalem took place. The coming of the Messiah, the anointed one, and him being cut off 483 years. That took place. Friends, these things are going to happen. God is going to keep his word. Thirdly, he's going to bring about the end of the fallen world powers. One of the greatest promises and hopes that we have in the tribulation is that God is going to use this time to once and all judge, once and for all time judge, the fallen, evil, unjust governments of men. One of the greatest prophecies in the Bible, King David in Psalm chapter 2, verses 1 through 6. King David prophesies this. He says, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. Friends, when Jesus returns in the second coming and defeats Satan at the battle of Armageddon and establishes his millennial kingdom, he will rule and reign from Zion, from God's holy hill in Jerusalem. And the Lord in heaven laughs at the rulers of this world who think they're so smart and so wise and they have plans and purposes. All the globalists and the Marxists and the Islamists and the fascists, God laughs at them all. He says, I will set my king on my holy hill. God's going to bring the tribulation about in order to finally defeat Satan. We're going to talk about that next week. And then lastly, and most significantly, in the tribulation, God is going to bring about a final opportunity for the evangelism of the world. Friends, just think about this. When the world has been shaken, 
when governments no longer have answers, when all of humanity's false gods fail them. Many people are finally going to be ready to receive the hope of Jesus and submit to him as Savior and Lord. 2 Peter 3.9 tells us that God doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all to come to repentance. That's God's heart. And so while the tribulation is going to be this time of terrible judgment, it's also going to be a time when God is going to mercifully give the people of the world a final opportunity to turn to him. And he's going to do this in four unique ways that we read about in the book of Revelation and in the end times. The, the first way that God is going to uniquely evangelize the world, the prophet Joel in the Old Testament tells us that in the last days, God is going to pour out his spirit Men are going to dream dreams, and your children are going to prophesy, and I'm going to perform signs and wonders, leading many to repentance. John tells us in Revelation 11.3, then, that God, during this period of the tribulation, is also going to send two divinely empowered witnesses who are going to witness on the streets of Jerusalem and share the hope of the gospel with the world. I believe these two supernatural, divinely empowered witnesses, I believe these are going to be Enoch and Elijah, the only two men in the Bible who never died. Pastor Mark a couple weeks ago talked about Enoch and Elijah. They were raptured, harpazo, caught up out of this world. They never died. And I believe that these two witnesses is going to be Enoch and Elijah that God sends back to testify, to give people a chance to turn to Jesus during the period of the tribulation. Thirdly, we read in the book of Revelation that as a result of the testimony of these two evangelists, there's going to be 144,000 Jewish men who are going to come to faith in Jesus. God is going to send these men out around the world as evangelists sharing the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then lastly, Revelation 14 tells us that God is going to send an angelic messenger, a herald of the gospel. And this angel is going to travel around the whole world proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ and inviting people to turn and trust in Jesus. Friends, never before in history has God sent an angel to declare the gospel, but there is an angel of evangelism that's going to come during the period of the tribulation. And the Bible tells us that as a result of all these miraculous outpourings of God's grace, during the tribulation, as bad as it's going to be, there is going to be an incredible worldwide harvest of souls. In Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 10, we read about this harvest of souls. After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So friends, understand this. Even in the midst of the calamities of the tribulation, God's grace will be present and many will put their trust in Jesus Christ. But sadly, it's going to cost them dearly because nearly all who trust in Jesus during the period of the tribulation will be martyred by the Antichrist. Friends, if you're hearing this message today and you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus Christ, I implore you, don't delay. Don't miss this opportunity. You can escape this coming period of calamity and judgment. 
Earlier I mentioned that the church isn't going to be present during the tribulation. You know, friends, it's really interesting. In Revelation chapter 4 through 16, the Bible's most comprehensive account of what's going to take place during the tribulation. Do you know there's one thing in that whole account, all those chapters, that's glaringly absent? The church. The church isn't mentioned anywhere in the book of Revelation's account of this seven-year period of tribulation. It's not there. Why? It's because the church isn't going to be there. God is going to rapture the church out of this world prior to the period of tribulation. Remember what Paul told us in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. God has not destined us for wrath. That's his promise. We're not going to be here for it. And so, friends, if you're a follower of Jesus today, I just want to encourage you, you don't need to fear the tribulation. Jesus is going to rapture the church out of this world before the wrath to come. And as we saw last week, after the rapture, we're going to stand before Jesus, before the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus is going to purify us. He's going to crown us with crowns, with rewards for all that we did in service to him and his kingdom. And then after we receive our rewards from Jesus, we're going to take part in the greatest event in all of history, the marriage of the Lamb. What, what are we going to be doing during the tribulation, church? We're not going to be here for it. We're going to be raptured out. We're going to go through the judgment seat of Christ, and then we're going to be a part of the marriage of the Lamb, the greatest event of all time. We read about this in Revelation 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure, for the fine linen is of the righteous deeds of the saints." And the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Friends, this is no fairy tale. This is no allegory. This is no symbolism. These are the true words of God. If you're a part of the church of Jesus Christ, you're going to be there for this great and glorious occasion for the marriage of the Lamb. We're going to stand before Jesus, the one who created us, the one who laid down his life for us, the one who's going to save us from the wrath to come. He's going to purify us. He's going to reward us. He's going to clothe us so that we might reign with him for all eternity. And what's our reaction going to be? Verse 7 tells us that we're going to rejoice and exalt and give him the glory. Wow. What an incredible experience this is going to be. Friends, let me ask you this morning, are you going to be there for the wedding? Have you said yes to the bridegroom? In Acts 4.12, we're told that there is no other name given under heaven whereby men and women can be saved other than the name of Jesus. There's no other way to be saved. Only Jesus. There's no other way to come into the presence of a holy God. Only Jesus. There's no works you can do. There's no money you can give. There's no good deeds. There's no acts of righteousness. There's only Jesus. 
Jesus is the only way that we can be forgiven of our sins and brought back into a right relationship with our Creator. Have you trusted in Him? And friends, for those of you who have said yes to Jesus, let me ask you this morning, are you living in preparation for that great day? Are you preparing yourself for when the Lord comes for His bride? A few years ago, I heard a great story about an Air Force pilot, a guy named Robbie Robbins, came back from the war in Iraq. The war was declared over, and Robbie wanted to surprise his wife and kids at home. He wanted to return without them knowing. And, and so he and his unit, they were given permission to fly back to the United States. They, they landed on the East Coast. Robbie drove 24 hours, all night, all day, to get home to surprise his family. When Robbie pulled into his driveway, across the garage was a large banner, Welcome home, Daddy! Robbie went in the front door of his house. He smelled a great meal cooking in the kitchen. He, he saw the dining room table was all laid out and prepared with fine china and all the fancy silver. His kids see Dad enter the door, and they're all dressed in nice clothes, and they come running up, Daddy! His wife comes walking down the stairs. She's wearing a crisp yellow dress. Her hair's all done up. Her makeup's all prepared. He's like, Honey, how'd you know? And his wife said, Robbie, we heard the war was over. And we knew you'd try to surprise us. <laughs> and we just wanted to be ready every day. We just wanted to be ready every day. Friends, I pray that that would be our goal as well. May we, too, strive to be ready every day as the return of our Lord draws near. We need not fear the tribulation that's coming. Instead, because of Jesus... Because of our hope in him, we can declare with confidence and joy, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that we don't need to fear the wrath to come. Lord, we know you have told us what's to take place, and I pray that instead of inspiring fear in us, that we might be inspired with faith. And that as a result of your revelation to us, Lord, that we might be more confident about what's in store for us, your church, but that we might also live with a great passion to share the hope of Jesus with the lost people in our lives who need to know that there's a God who loves them, a God who's made a way for them to be reconciled to him. Lord, I pray that knowing what's to come would inspire us to be more bold as your ambassadors that we would warn our friends and our family and our loved ones about the calamities that you have told us are going to come and take place, about this perilous seven-year period that's going to fall upon the earth as you unleash your judgment upon this world. Lord, as we think about these things, I pray that you would give us hearts of compassion for all of our friends, for all of our family, our coworkers, our classmates, everyone who hasn't yet put their trust in Jesus, who could one day miss out on the blessed hope of the rapture, spending seven years in terror upon this world. God, you made a way of escape through your son, Jesus Christ. I pray that none of us miss that, that we would put our hope and trust in you, and for those of us who have done that, that we would live faithfully proclaiming the good news, the rescue plan of God 
the forgiveness of sins made possible through the shed blood of Jesus on the cross. God, help us be faithful as your ambassadors in this world with whatever time we're given. We pray all this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning. From the book of Jude, verses 1 and 2. To those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Amen. And have a blessed week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here. And I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests, and we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.